It's Brittany Rickard. You are listening to First City Forum, and I am here today with Rodney Dial. Hi, Rodney. How are you doing today? I'm doing great. Hello, Ketchikan. So, it's been um, kind of wild. I actually got the pleasure of interviewing Rodney, Katie, and the borough candidates um, at the Chamber Forum a little while ago. So, a lot of these questions might be a bit repetitive, which you might be used to. (laughs) When you're running, you kind of have to keep answering the same things over and over. And that's completely okay. You did a great job on those. um, Yeah, I think it's fine. You ask me whatever you want. Okay, perfect. So I'm going to start off and this is going to help me out. And I think a lot of other people who maybe are just now getting informed. What is the difference between the city and the borough mayor? So, you know, this one comes up all the time. And, you know, if, if anybody has come from the lower 48, where you live in counties, you'll probably understand this, but the borough is the total landmass of basically our island and some of the surrounding areas. So the borough mayor kind of oversees that larger area. And then the city mayor focuses on the services and the issues inside the city. So that's pretty much the best way to look at it. Okay, so borough is kind of more of a blanket and the city's a little bit more specific? So for example, the borough includes the city of Ketchikan, Saxman, Loring, you know, and all the little places in between. And uh, we we have certain borough-wide powers and we support the other communities. So we support the city, we support Saxman, we collect taxes, um, we provide animal protection, things like that. Okay, very cool. That that explains quite a bit then. Because I'm like making this list of questions. I'm like, what can I ask you? Um, I'm trying to not make it so repetitive. Let's start out um, easy. You Were you born and raised here? I was born and raised in Alaska, but not here in Ketchikan. Okay. Mm-hmm. So what um, makes you passionate about Ketchikan specifically? So when I was with the troopers, my first um, transfer was actually to Ketchikan. I was assigned initially in Fairbanks uh, for training, but then I was transferred to Ketchikan in 1991. And the thing about Ketchikan, I think most people will get this. If you move to Ketchikan and you stay a couple years and you start thinking, you know, I'm kind of landlocked, the rain's getting to me, the moment you leave, you want to get back. And so uh, I did my first tour here in Ketchikan. I wound up uh, getting transferred actually seven times in my career, and but um, it took me 10 years to come back. And once I left, I just had to get back to Ketchikan because I really love the people. I love it. This is a town of doers. People get things done. Um, just a sense of community. So I wanted to be back here. Yeah, I entirely agree with that. Um, I, the amount of people I know that are from here that leave and then realize other places are not as special as Ketchikan that end up coming back is, is pretty palpable. Um What are the biggest challenges that you think this um, position is currently facing? So next year, we've got some pretty major budget issues for the borough. We we currently have a deficit in our local education fund of about uh, $600,000. Next year, we we know we're going to have some new expenses. We're going to have employee contracts coming up. We've got health care increases. We've got inflationary increases. So we have all of these known increases that we really can't do a lot about. Uh, the state's in the same boat, pretty much. Um, so we're going to have to find ways to fund them, and that's that's kind of that's going to be a big challenge. Okay. Um, and I'm going to be asking him a lot of questions. He's going to be bringing up uh, some things that he wants to discuss. But the phone lines are open. If you want to call in, the number is 907-247-2000. That's 907-247-2000. Please feel free to call in with any questions. Um, this one's kind of interesting. Describe an ethical dilemma you faced and how it was resolved. Oh, that's a good question. I know. It's a you know, one. for me, um, probably the cornerstone of serving as mayor, one thing that I've always really wanted to do is to 
to focus the borough on our core issues and as much as possible stay out of the divisive ones because it really appears as if our actions can really either inflame a division in the community or can calm that division. And what I've always advocated for is that we say no to the groups on the right side and no to the groups on the left side, right? And so I can tell you, for example, um, some rumors that we've been hearing is that, you know, we may have a uh, right to life group apply for a grant in the future. And, you know, um, I just don't think we should be involved in that on either side, right? I, I think we should be able to say kind of as a government to the right to life group and to the pro-choice group, them both, you know, you guys need to go out and fundraise for those things. We're just not going to be involved in it. So, and I know that that upsets some people, but I really believe that if we want to stay this friendly, peaceful town, we really have to kind of uh, limit ourselves and not try to get involved in those discussions because they just divide people. Mm -hmm. And it's it's good to know um, about the desire to keep it equal too, because those things get twisted and you mm -hmm. know so 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 easily. Um, what civic organizations or nonprofits have you been an active member of in recent years? Yeah, so the biggest one is um, I was a board member for the uh, of a group called FOAST, which is the Fraternal Order of Alaska State Troopers. And what we did for a number of years, you probably see every year there's a concert over at the high school, right? We bring in a band and and uh, provide entertainment, and then all the money that's generated comes back into the community, and it goes out to uh, children's programs. So um, I did that for a number of years, and then what I'm kind of currently doing right now is I help support some of the local nonprofits, uh, usually with my carpentry skills. So, you know, I've built things for like rendezvous. I built some uh, flower um, beds for them. And, um, you know, I build baskets and stuff for charity auctions and to give to people that, you know, might have a terminal illness or something like that. So, you know, I really try to be involved in that way. And then pretty much for the last several years as mayor, I have staff pull 20% of my pay every month and just send it to charity. So, oh, wow. yeah, I'm just trying to, you know, give back to the community because I, I am retired and, you know, I serve only because, you know, I want to live here for the rest of my life. And I've got a, a daughter that lives here too, and, and she's young and she's struggling with the, the, you know, the cost of living here, which just keeps going up. Right. Mm -hmm. And I just don't want to see young people priced out of this community. So Anything I can do to kind of help in that regard, that's kind of been my focus over the years. Well, that's a great segue, too, um, with the inflation and housing. Uh, we, we've discussed this a little bit in the past. I kind of liked when we were um, on the chamber forum discussing, there was an Airbnb question. I have it mm -hmm. on here somewhere, but there was something about um, if you were in favor or not of putting limitations um, or licensing. Um, do you want to re-answer that? Sure. My, I think the way I answered it in the forum was pretty much, you know, I really try not to make statements on issues without fully right. researching them. And we really rely on staff to a great extent on on those type of questions. I, I do tend to lean on the side of freedom, though, in that it's really not appropriate for government to start telling people what they can do with mm -hmm. their own property. So I would rather find in a way to incentivize people, maybe through a tax break or maybe through some sort of um, incentive to get them to say, hey, maybe it would be a better idea for us to have this as a rental versus an Airbnb. And that's kind of a fresh take on it, too, because mm -hmm. everything that I've heard in this discussion um, and some of the meetings and stuff that I've been in is, you know, should we license, should we, um, you know, put these restrictions on? Mm -hmm. I haven't even, incentivizing is a great idea. Um, 
what distinguishes you from other candidates? Well, I, I think people kind of know, because uh, I've served six years now, so you kind of know where I'm coming from on issues. I tend to be a fiscal conservative. So I really, my big thing is let's provide quality services at an affordable price and stay out of your pocketbook. Because if you think about it, um, there's only so many days in a year in which you can go to work and earn the money that you need to live your entire year off of. And so if we keep asking for another day of your labor every year, uh, eventually, you know, it's going to get really hard for you to make ends meet. And so um, one of some of the ways that we can really focus on, you know, providing quality services when our costs keep going up is we need to bring in outside money. So we need to go to the state, we need to go to the federal government, and we need to tell them that, you know, education is your responsibility. We need you to pay for it. Or we need you to give us more money for the land that we provide services on. So, for example, the in the Ketchikan Borough, about 98% of our land is federal land. So we can't tax that land. We mm. can't use that land. And so we go to the government, and the government gives us what's called a PILT, which is payment in lieu of taxes, and it helps cover some of those service costs. But my argument that I've been making recently in some of the committees I'm on is that tourism continues to increase. We have a shelter cove road that's going to open up and provide access to the other side of the island. And if we're getting you know, tourists on the other side of the island, we're going to have costs sending ambulances out there when there's traffic accidents or people that are lost for search and rescues. We should be compensated for that. That shouldn't cost the taxpayer money. We should be having the federal government pay for that because we can't tax the land. So uh, those are kind of some of the ways that we're looking at trying to bring extra revenue in so that we don't have to raise taxes. Okay, interesting. And this is just kind of a curiosity question from somebody who's a little bit green because I've been here for about two years. Um, where does Ward Cove fall? Is that privately owned? Is that borough? So Ward Cove, most of the Ward Cove area is actually forest service area. Okay. But the borough does have some land out there. We have about 40 acres that's right there on the corner as you turn into Ward Lake. Um, you know, and that was one of the things that I had actually looked at doing early on in my career prior to COVID. I wanted to actually make that into parkland so that it couldn't be purchased and developed because I think most people expect that to be the park area that they can go and have fun and I don't think anybody would want to see a big building right there by right. Warren Lake right so the idea was and we um, and I pursued this for oh, months but the idea was we would we would turn that into a dog park a disc golf place we would um, tie it into the hiking trails in the area. We build an amphitheater there so that you could have like concerts on a nice summer, uh, summer day. Um, basically this multi-use facility and that big gravel parking lot that's right across the street, that's kind of the current dog park, that would be our parking area, right? So that it is, it, it's a great potential, you know, and it could generate its own economic activity. So it's just kind of an idea. I, I would love to bring it back if I could. You know, COVID interrupted it, but it's something that I think maybe we could put forward in the future and we can actually maybe get the cruise lines to help us fund it. Okay, very cool. Um, as far as like um, ports and whatnot, is that more of a city issue, extending port hours, things like that? That's more of a city issue. Okay, very cool. I'm figuring this out as we go. Mm -hmm. um, Okay, I really wanted to revisit this quick question from the forum the other day because I loved your story. What is something unusual about yourself that people might not know? You yeah. told a really crazy story that was, yeah. So, you know, that was, being a trooper, you get all kinds of crazy stories. Man, I could tell you the story of walking up to a car and having a person 
shoot their jaw off right in oh front of my, my face. Oh, my gosh. Here in Ketchikan, by the way. That's insane. Uh, but the story that I, I brought up was I was post commander at Glen Allen Post, um, and it serves this huge region uh, from all the way from like Valdez to north of Palmer to all the way up towards Paxson. And so I'm in there. It's a, a summer day, and these two researchers come into the office, and they said that they had been hiking up on a glacier in the Wrangell-St. Elias National Park. And it was so high up that, that only like high altitude helicopters could even get up there. But they were pilots for Northwest Airlines and they were kind of researching this old aircraft crash that happened like 50 years ago. So anyway, they get all the way to the top and they're looking around. They see the debris field. It's starting to actually come out of the glacier and they see a human arm that's sticking out of the ice, perfectly preserved. And so they, they immediately left. They came back to the trooper station. And, and we actually have to do a death investigation on that because you can't just assume that it's some old crash or something. You have right. to make sure somebody wasn't hiking up there and got murdered. So we got a high-altitude helicopter. We got up there, and there's this massive debris field. It's like a, like a square mile in, in diameter, and there's this arm, and it's just laying right coming right out of the ice. And so we recover the arm, and I'm searching through the rocks and the ice around it, and I find this ring, and it's this old ring that's from Iran. Um, and it ties in because these were merchant mariners on this plane like 50 years ago. And the story was they were flying and the northern lights were so bright it distracted the pilot and he hit the top of this mountain. And they couldn't get him at the time because it's too far up there. But anyway, um, to make a long story shorter, um, we were actually able to get fingerprints off of that after 50 years. Oh and the gosh. people that we're doing the researcher. Eventually over time, we were able to kind of link it to who we thought it was. And yeah, it just was a crazy story. You that know? is insane. 50 years. Yeah. That is crazy. I know I was like listening to every, I was like jaw on the floor during this story. Um, let's talk about some of the endorsements you've received. Do you want to bring any of those up? So I've received a lot of local endorsements. It's mostly been from business, um, contractors, you know, I, and they all tell me pretty much the same thing. So if you remember back during COVID, um, I had three bullet points, three areas that I really wanted to focus on, and it was protecting public health, <clears throat> protecting our economy, and protecting our individual freedoms. And so if you look at the pictures back in the day, you'll see that I really had to focus on you know, we have businesses that are struggling. You need to go support local because if you don't, we're going to lose all these businesses. You know, they're not making revenue. We can give them some uh, uh, COVID money, and we did, but we need to take care of them. And I can just tell you, we, I've had so many business owners tell me that, that they appreciated that, that that really helped them have hope that they'd make it through that process. And so um, they've been huge supporters of me and really helping me this last month actually so um that's pretty much it okay <laughs> <laughs> okay and this i don't know if it's a city issue or not it, i feel like it may be borough um what ideas do you have to decrease the drug pandemic so i i worked on this for 25 years all across the state and the number one thing that you can do to really help is to keep the drugs from getting in our town yeah. to begin with mm -hmm. right now back before marijuana was legalized it was easier to interdict like marijuana because it's really pungent. Dogs can detect it really easy. The problem with pills, for example, is that it's a lot harder, mm -hmm. um, you know, especially if they're packaged and they're mailed. So we know that a lot of it's coming across the mail. We know some of it's coming on the Alaska Marine Lines. We know that some of it's coming on the state ferry system out of Bellingham. 
And so we, over time, we have worked with different agencies. For example, we've worked with the Seattle Police Department to hopefully interdict it on that end before it even gets into the containers. But what, one of the things we're seeing nationwide is um, there's this shortage of law enforcement, right? And there's this increase in crime. So I don't know what the current situation is because I've not talked to the troopers here in, in a little while, but I can tell you that um, not too long ago, one of the issues was that the Seattle Police Department just didn't have the people to assign to the ports for interdiction. So they were missing a lot of that, a lot of those drugs that were actually making it onto the ferry, making it into the shipping containers, and then eventually they wind up here, right? And so once it's here, now the local police and the local troopers actually have to try to get it off the streets, and it's a lot harder. So that would, you know, that's the first thing we really need to focus on. We need to get the state involved, and we need to get the state to... Uh, if necessary, uh, provide some funding at the Port of Seattle so we can stop these things from coming mm, in the first like place. Like at the source, yeah. Right. And then um, there's been some talk about perhaps getting another drug dog here. You know, the problem with drug dogs is they're really specialized. They only tend to have about a, um, a useful life of about five years or so, and they're expensive. Yeah. So, um, but, you know, that's kind of where we really need to focus. And then on the the treatment side, we've got some really good nonprofits in town that really provide good treatment um, to take care of our citizens. And we just really need to encourage them to get into treatment at, a, at an early point so that they don't, you know, then progress to being dealers to support mm -hmm. their habit and those kind of things. We had a stop the stigma in a couple times just mm -hmm. a little bit ago, and that was really enlightening for me. What have you accomplished in your past term that you are the most proud of? Well, once again, I would say COVID. I mean, during COVID, for example, I attended more than 200 policy meetings. We had yeah. those every single day for for months. Um, in fact, there would be days I'd have three of them. I'd have one on a local level, one on a state level, and then one uh, with the White House, right? So we're, these are those meetings were so important because that's where we're setting policy about are we going to lock down the community? Um, are we going to impose these restrictions? And what will that? how will that impact... Uh, public health? How would that impact our, our businesses? And so what I'm so proud of is that we got through COVID with better outcomes than most communities, and we did it without mandates, right? We did not divide our people. If mm -hmm. you look at places like Anchorage, you can go on YouTube and watch any video from 2021, and you see the people go up to the assembly, and they are just screaming at them, and they're livid about it, and, and they believe government's just ruining their lives and shutting down their economy, and businesses are going out of business, and we avoided all of that here. Mm -hmm. I don't remember one time we had an angry person, you know, because I because I really think that we focused on individual responsibility. We treated people here like like they're adults, and we said, you know, care about your 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 friends and your neighbors, and and your local businesses, and it worked out. And so I'm just really proud of that because we all came together. And I'm certainly not going to say that. Um, that I did it all by any means. I had my part in it, but we had healthcare professionals that, I mean, they were outstanding. We had our teachers that got the kids back to school when other places were doing remote learning. Mm -hmm. That was a huge thing, right? That huge difference. They were so brave. So I just think as a community, we just did so well on this. Yeah. Yeah. I great. 
I would, uh, that's something to be proud of. I can't imagine being in serving a term during COVID. That's mm. probably one of the most stressful things you might ever go through. Um, I came here during COVID from mm. Juneau. And I mean, Ketchikan is isolated being an island and everything. But co- even even just from Juneau hopping over here, the difference was so palpable between like um, just the fear and everything. And yeah, the restrictions and everything that's going there. And then coming here, it's just like this kind of safety bubble where people just weren't as, and it's more community oriented too here. Um, so yeah, people, people Absolutely. definitely, yeah. Yeah. And like I said, you know, our outcomes were better. Mm-hmm. You can compare us to many places in the lower 48 and we did, you know, we did a better job protecting public health and the, the professionals over there at the, at the hospital and the clinics, I mean, they were so good. They actually, you know, they got, they got people in as quickly as possible, you know, and they treated them and we just re- really had better outcomes. Yeah. We did good. Okay. Um, once more, if anybody's just now tuning in, that studio line is 907-247-2000 if you have any questions for Rodney Dial. If reelected, what is something that you didn't get to accomplish that you would like to? Well, like I said, you know, one of the, we've, we first have to address the budget problem, and we've got to mm-hmm. find a way to do that without making housing more expensive. So it's a real challenge. Here a couple months ago, I came up with this idea and it was complex. And unfortunately, if you look at solutions anymore, all the low-hanging fruit has already been picked. So we have things that are left that tend to be more complex. But I came forward with this complex way where we could use state-authorized owner-occupied housing exemptions in combination with a mill rate adjustment so that we could generate revenue without costing the taxpayer any more money, right, the homeowner any more money. Um, there's there's good things about that and there's bad things about it. But see, there's no one tax that you can impose that does not affect somebody mm-hmm. in a negative way. So anyway, one of the th- we we've really got to find a way to come together and pay our bills. And mm-hmm. I think what we're going to need to do going forward is I think we're going to need to be pretty lean through this winter because it's looking like this could be a bad winter for the whole world. Um, it's looking like inflation might continue to increase. So we need to be we need to be lean again, almost kind of like. When, when we went through COVID. And then I think we need to really start working together on getting outside money, getting mm-hmm. state money, getting federal money. So we got to get the budget fixed. Um, once we get the budget fixed, I would really like to work on a joint uh, program uh, project with the cruise lines and get that park going, mm-hmm. right? I think they're, they're, they're coming back, their industries, um, roaring back to life, and hopefully that will continue next year. And so I think we could we could get something permanent out of it. We could get a beautiful park like we've never had, like with the amphitheaters and everything, almost on par with what you see in Seattle with Pike's Place, right? So you get this great place, and it actually generates its own economic revenue now. So I would really like to pursue that park project out there in the Ward Cove area. Yeah, I think that would be incredibly popular. We don't really, we don't have anything like that. So, yeah. Well, a good piggyback to what you were just talking about is um, how do you think the borough could better help support local businesses and encourage people to shop locally? Well, I can tell you one thing that was done in the past here. So it's been a couple years ago now. The, the laws changed that allowed the online collection of sales tax. So that had two benefits. One benefit was it brought in extra money for the city and the borough. The other benefit was that it put local vendors 
um, on par with people in the lower 48. Because in the past, somebody could order something from Seattle and use an use a Alaskan exemption and not mm. pay sales tax, right? Now, I think that's changed a bit, but there's still places... There were still places you could order something in the lower 48 and not pay tax, but a local vendor here would have to charge you tax, right? So that kind of puts them at a disadvantage. So that was one change that was made that had numerous benefits. Now, it all sucks for us when we order something on Amazon. we got to pay a little more, me included, right? But it's it's a way to help our businesses and also help provide services at the same time. Okay. And that goes back into the community too. So that extra dollar or something is, um, let's see. Okay. So we've talked, I hate getting this question, even in job interviews, but I think it's a good one. We've talked a lot about your strengths. Were there any weaknesses or shortcomings during your term? And if so, do you have plans to address them? Yeah, absolutely. So I'll be the first to admit I'm pretty direct in my speech and that comes primarily from when I was a trooper, right? You're supposed to just the facts. Mm-hmm. If you write a report, you're just supposed to put the facts in it. You're not supposed to put emotion in it. And I, you know, it's hard for me to separate from that. I mean, I used to write reports that were 400 pages long sometimes. And so it's just, I know that I can be direct and sometimes that rubs people the wrong way. I can tell you, um, realizing that's a, a weakness of mine, one of the things I did is I appointed A.J. Pierce as my vice mayor. Now, AJ and I don't always agree on things, and, you know, she'll be the first to tell you that. But AJ has an incredible people-person ability, mm-hmm. right? So one of the reasons we were so effective in advocacy prior to the pandemic was we would go to someplace like D.C. I would come in there with all the facts and the research, and I would just lay out all the numbers. And then AJ would come in for the close with the emotional. Yeah. This is how <laughs> it softest. impacts Ketchikan. <laughs> this is how it helps the people. And so we were just this incredible team. And, you know, I do hope that we can continue that in the future. But, yeah, I, I know that I probably need to soften my approach a little bit, right? I'm not a cop anymore. And, 